0: The Jonathan Cruz case was hastily investigated by authorities, but many questions remain. Come behind the curtain with Private Investigator Sheila Waisaki as she uncovers the truth about what happened to Jonathan. This is Without Warning. Warning. The following episode contains elements that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised.
1: What did you think of Karen Petrie's episode? Did she appear to know more than what she was testifying to? Did she contradict herself? Join my Patreon group to discuss this case in detail. In this episode, I will be discussing the day's event leading up to Jonathan's death. By all accounts, Jonathan was stable, happy young man with a loving family and friends. The only witness present was the girlfriend he had broken up with the same day after jonathan concluded that her extreme jealousy was way too much to tolerate usually in an investigation you go back a few days what did jonathan do who did jonathan see where did jonathan go investigators want to get an idea about a state of mind did anyone notice changes in him Where would an investigator start? I started at his work, Concentra. I spent hours with the employees interviewing. I learned so much about Jonathan, and matter of fact, I learned a lot about Brenda. Story after story, their relationship was unmasked. The consensus was that Jonathan was in a good mood, but he had pain in his shoulder. Jonathan had to leave and go to the doctor about his shoulder. Jonathan's medical report lists, quote, pain with cross-body adduction, end of quote. I asked Kirsten, a Patreon member, to explain what that means.
2: Basically, the way it started is he had shoulder pain. So to address the shoulder pain, they did a cross-body adduction test. And that test then determined he, yes, he has pain in his AC joint in his shoulder. So then from that test, then they can pinpoint where in his shoulder he has pain. And then that's how they figured out it's his bursa, well, his subdeltoid bursa tenderness, tenderness in the deltoid, and tenderness in the trap, which is right here,
1: which is the neck area and the shoulder, yeah and the it. shoulder muscle. So it's his right side, correct? Yes. All right. And one of the things that is in his records is that they gave him a steroid shot. Mm -hmm. How long does a steroid shot take before you can start moving without pain?
2: Steroid shots are not instant. They normally take like a little bit to start working. So you definitely have to, it's a waiting game and it's not perfect. Like they're, it'll start, it'll kick in for everyone at this state. Like it's kind of different for everyone. Could he, in his right hand, hold the gun
1: pointing the way it was in that position and not, and, and be okay?
2: It would definitely make it painful because the way he would have to hold it would be the exact way they were doing the tests to test for pain in that joint. And he has, he tested positive for that test.
1: So- Just a theory, if you were going to kill yourself, would you put yourself in pain on top of pain? No, not at all. Those are the most up-to-date medical reports. It has medication listed, none. Past history, none. I mean, why wouldn't you have gotten that as a police officer? Yeah. It just, it's frustrating to
2: me. Especially because he had to hold the gun across his body, which is would have caused the most pain for him. Seeing
1: the doctor that day gave us a gift, Jonathan gave his medical history to this doctor. His medical report with medications, Jonathan was not taking any, and his background, didn't show any history of depression, was listed all in one place the Friday before he died. The day before his death, Jonathan wrote a very explicit email to his sister saying that Brenda was going to make him choose between his relationship with Brenda and his friendship with Emily. He wrote out all of his options and most likely results of each. He concluded with the thought that the relationship was doomed no matter what he did and breaking up with Brenda right away would at least contain or limit the damage. Yes, the Coppell Police Department have the text messages. Later that same day, he told Danny, his sister in person, that he has decided to end the relationship and it would happen within the next few days. Danny felt that that was a courtesy to her as she considered Brenda to be one of her best friends at the time. The day of his death, Jonathan had lunch with his friend Emily and her boyfriend Jacob, who also was Jonathan's roommate in college. When Brenda, who was not there, became aware that he was in Emily's company, she became enraged. She called and texted so incessantly that Jonathan eventually turned off his phone. Before he did that, however, Brenda insisted on speaking to Emily. She called her a, quote, disrespectful little girl for hugging my man, end of quote. Let's take a moment and remember the hug had been approximately three months earlier and Jonathan had not seen Emily even once between that time and the day of his death. So tell me about that morning. Okay, we were at
3: the restaurant. And Jonathan had just told me and Jacob about how Brenda felt about me specifically. Um, and I was really taken aback by it during that time. She, I was texting him um, and then proceeded to call him. He talked to her on the phone. Then he took his phone and actually, he took his phone and went like this and said, she wants to talk to you. And I said to him, I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> then he handed the phone over to me. Um, And Brenda asked me if Jonathan had told her anything about me. And I said, no. And then John looked at me and he said, no, it's okay. You can tell her. Um, So I said to her, yeah, you know, Jonathan told me that you don't like me. And then she started just being irate and crazy and screaming out the phone that you're a disrespectful little girl for hugging my man. He was talking to me about how it's offensive Brenda felt like it was offensive that I hugged him and he was trying to explain to me that that was a part of her culture and that she was from the inner cities of Mexico and um, that her family had ties to the cartel, Um, you know, in that sense, he started talking about that there was no rational fighting with her.
1: I'm going to pause for a moment for a commercial break. Jonathan told his friends at lunch that he has decided to end the relationship with Brenda and he was going to do it that very day. Emily offered to back away from Jonathan for the time so that he could see Brenda without the issue of jealousy. He immediately responded, quote, not even an option, end of quote. He told his friends the day he died, that he looked forward to his future, to a marriage and the children he hoped to have. Jonathan said his dreams of the future included having them, his best friends, there for all of those moments with him. And he knew that could never happen with Brenda in his life. He asked his friends to take him home so that he could immediately end the relationship. The evidence in possession of the police, coupled with the sworn testimony of multiple witnesses and the messages written between Jonathan and Brenda throughout the entirety of the relationship, paint an unmistakable picture and absolutely providing the smoking gun. Jonathan's computer contained roughly 3,000 or more messages between Brenda and Jonathan, which show an alarming pattern of jealousy and possessiveness on her part. Throughout the three-month-long relationship, there was an ongoing issue about Jonathan's friendship with Emily, who had made the mistake of hugging Jonathan the first time and only time Brendan met her. Brenda spent the rest of the relationship hounding Jonathan about Emily, trying to get him to agree to end any contact with her. She referred to her in one message as, the bitch you love. In those messages, there also included arguments caused by Brenda having gone through the post on Jonathan's Facebook and becoming angry about him having been kind to and giving gifts to old girlfriends during his relationship with them. These are the arguments started by Brenda having gone through Jonathan's Facebook and counted how many times certain females clicked like to things on his page. There is also evidence of her having told him in advance that she did not want him to say happy birthday on Facebook to a female that she had noted had an upcoming birthday, and checking up on him to make sure he didn't. On more than one occasion, she accused him of putting special limits on her ability to view his page, or for her friends to see things she posted on his page. There are arguments about him referring to females in his life by nicknames. She required him to speak of them only by their full given first names. Emily could not be M. Jacqueline could not be Jackie. The following information was gathered by my investigation. Before you ask the question, do the police have this information? Quick little story. Mr. Cruz called the police department when I gathered all the information and asked for the police to meet with me so I could turn over the information to them. You already know what happened. The police never met with me or my investigator. We did get a phone call from a detective camp who said the investigation was open but not active. And no, he didn't want our information. I'm going to put this on repeat because, once again, the Cruz family had to pay for an investigation. They also had to pay for an attorney, Tom Shaw, to come on board. Through interviews and depositions taken under oath, there have emerged no less than six different versions of what happened in that bedroom that night. You will find that they all differ even further from one another in detail two people stated in depositions that Brenda told them Jonathan shot himself in the head. One of them was told that Jonathan was standing up, playing around with a gun, and shot himself accidentally. Two people were told that Jonathan accidentally shot himself, yet she has told multiple people that Jonathan said various versions of, I love you and I want to prove it to you, or Cover your ears before he shot. Brenda told Jonathan's sister that they were standing facing one another and having a discussion when Jonathan suddenly pulled out a gun, shot himself, and then fell onto his bed. Another person said in a deposition that Brenda claimed to be in the bathroom at the time of the shooting. Brenda told her that Jonathan said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then shot himself. One version from Henry Sue after he picked Brenda up from the police station the night of the shooting that she was in the living room. After emerging from the bedroom, when she heard Jonathan say, cover your ears, she said that she replied, I will not cover my ears. And then she heard a shot. She ran into the bedroom and found that Jonathan had already been shot. Brenda told Pam in a written private message that she was sitting on the foot of the bed looking through her purse and her phone when she heard the shot. Yes, the police have all this. Brenda also told another friend she was sitting at the foot of the bed. That was Karen. She told the police that she had been sitting on the floor at the foot of the bed when the shot occurred. Additionally, there still may be evidence that needs to be tested. Throughout the investigation, certain evidence was not tested by the Coppell Police Department because it was too expensive to test the Cruz family had to take the Coppell Police Department to court to have them run a test that should have been run automatically the week of Jonathan's death. The most fascinating part of that story is Brenda's attorney showed up, sat with the city of Capel's attorney to fight them running the test. Okay, let's take a moment on that. The city attorney of Capel is sitting with Brenda Lazaro's attorney, fighting the Cruz family for running a test to get evidence. Wow, what if that were your child? While you're thinking about that, let's take a commercial break.
4: It's estimated that at any given time, there are up to 90,000 missing persons, and that's just in the United States. Imagine if your loved one went missing. Is there anything that you wouldn't do to try and find them? This is Missing Persons, and I'm your co-host, Mike Morford. In every episode of Missing Persons, you'll hear about a person who disappeared and currently remains missing, as well as the efforts to find them. In some cases, there are clues to follow and leads to check on. In other cases, it's as if the person just vanished off the face of the earth. In each episode, you'll hear from someone that's desperately searching for that missing person. And whether they've been looking for 30 days or 30 years, the struggle to find answers is real. Will you join us and become part of the search for answers in these cases? If so, search for and subscribe to Missing Persons wherever you listen to podcasts. There are dozens of episodes available to binge on right now, and new episodes come out every other Saturday.
1: The only way to change things for families to get justice is to speak up. Don't stalk. Don't get irate. Don't talk ugly. Speak up in a way that's going to make a difference. Write the mayor. It's a new mayor. It takes the public to make changes. I'm giving you the information. You can make a difference. The last shocking statement that was said to the family and friends of Jonathan, Jonathan's parents and one of Jonathan's good friends were told on multiple occasions by the Coppell police that they feel that this is the kind of crime that she may one day repeat. Here are some takeaways from the public information received and also the police reports. There was a search warrant that was sworn out the day after the murder, alleging that Brenda Lazaro committed murder. The gun used to kill him was listed as, quote, murder weapon, end of quote. Jonathan was right-handed, but shot in the left side of his body at a severe angle. It is somewhere between extremely unlikely and impossible that Jonathan could have even made the shot at all with his right hand. In fact, the police told the family that Jonathan's right hand had been ruled out as making the shot due to the severe angle. There was no gunshot residue on Jonathan's left hand, so the left hand must also be ruled out. Physical evidence shows that the butt of the gun was facing the floor at the time of the shot, which may make the difference between extremely unlikely and impossible for Jonathan's reach. But interestingly, in the exact angle that would naturally occur if somebody stood beside the bed and shot into his body, gunshot residue was present on both the palms and back of both of Brenda's hands, as well as the cuffs and front of her sweatshirt. Isn't that consistent with somebody having shot a gun using both hands, as women tend to do? Statistically, men tend to shoot themselves in the head and rarely shoot themselves in the body. When it does happen in the body, it is directly into the chest, over the heart. Jonathan was shot to the left side, two inches below his left nipple. As the officer said, nobody shoots himself in the flank. There is a pillow seen in the crime scene laying across the bottom of Jonathan's bedroom door. Was it placed there to muffle the sound of a premeditated shot? Blood was present underneath the inside doorknob of Jonathan's bedroom, meaning somebody with a lot of blood on their hands opened the closed bedroom door. The closed bedroom door is significant because in several of the accounts, Brenda is the last person to enter the bedroom that night while Jonathan remained in bed. A neighbor heard the gunshot and told police and also testified in a deposition that the shot occurred so long before the attempt to get help, 20 to possibly 30 minutes, that she concluded on her own that something was wrong and that Brenda was probably the shooter. The same witness testified in a deposition that when Brenda knocked on her door looking for help, As instructed by the 911 operator, she looked through the peephole, saw that Brenda was not crying. Paramedics noted on arrival that the level of blood loss indicated at least a 30 minute lapse between the shot and their arrival. The magazine to Jonathan's gun, which he kept loaded with a magazine in, and was witnessed by a friend to be loaded the same day, was removed from the gun and found hidden, hidden in the tie drawer under his ties by police. Anthony Maurer made note of that in his report. Jonathan's cell phone, which is his custom to charge on his nightstand each night, was found by police stuffed between the mattress and box spring of his bed. It is unknown whether the police tested the phone for blood and gunshot residue or copied the data from that phone. Brenda told the police that she reintroduced the subject of Emily, the object of Brenda's jealousy, into their otherwise peaceful evening and that caused Jonathan to be mad at her. She wrote in a message to Pam that Jonathan reintroduced the subject of Emily into their otherwise peaceful evening, and that caused her to be mad at Jonathan. Don't you think in such a situation it would not be hard to remember whether you're the one mad or Jonathan was the one mad? That is the kind of details that set the dynamics for the entire situation. I'm gonna pause for a moment for a commercial break. Let's go over the other findings in the apartment. Officer Anthony Maurer was the officer who noted the magazine was missing from the SIG PK 1911. Wouldn't that be a red flag once the police got Jonathan's history of gun knowledge and his habits? Jacob, Jonathan's former roommate, and the one who came to meet him the morning of his death, had handled the gun in the morning of the shooting. The magazine was in the gun, intact, and placed in Jonathan's amois. Here is Jacob okay so jacob did you handle the gun on the day of the incident yes i did tell me about that
3: when we went to their apartment we showed up we went into his room after kind of quickly looking around at at the rest of the apartment we went to the armoire and he really wanted to show me this new israeli rifle that he bought Uh, so we he pulled that out i played with that it looked really cool uh, that was put back up. And then I remember playing with uh, his pistol and either unloading it or just touching it in general.
1: When you, say, when you say played, what, what de- define played with? Well,
3: <clears throat> more of more just looked at, you know, handled it.
1: OK. Jonathan Cruz was shot in bed, dressed for sleep, and tucked under his covers the police officer and the EMT observed Jonathan was laying in the bed with the covers up to his waist. So one has to wonder if someone was going to shoot themselves, would they shoot themselves and then get into bed and pull the covers up to their waist? Jonathan's right arm was laying across his chest and his left arm hanging off the bed towards the floor. The most shocking discovery was where the phone was located, between the mattress and box spring, dot, 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 broken. Officer Anthony Maurer was the one who discovered the phone between the mattress and box spring. Once Pam Cruz called me with that information, I asked Emily if the phone was broken. Here is her response. Emily, when you were on the phone, was it broken? No, when Jonathan handed me
2: the phone, it was not broken.
1: The police officer, Anthony Maurer, wrote many of the reports the night of Jonathan's death. Officer Anthony Maurer made many observations that were assumptions based on what Anthony Maurer thought and no factual basis. Anthony Maurer was the one that suggested Jonathan put his phone between the mattress and box spring. Based on what? There were two people in that room. Where did Officer Anthony Maurer get his information? Brenda? Do you think Brenda might have something to lose? Brenda was also the one that gave Anthony Maurer the information saying that Jonathan was not taking his antidepressants, when we know, in fact, Jonathan was not on antidepressants. However, Officer Anthony Maurer put that in his report, along with telling the medical examiner the same thing, false information. He attributed that information to the father, a conversation that never took place. These are the sloppy reports that take investigations down a different path. Is it incompetence or corruption? When the report was filed, no investigation was done. The Cruz family have spent their life savings to get an investigation. The Coppell Police Department have refused the new information. The Coppell City Attorney fought in court for the police not to run a basic gun test to see how far the gun was from Jonathan when it was shot. A simple investigative test. A test that should have been done the week of Jonathan's death. Just imagine the Cruz parents sitting in court while the Coppell City attorney, I believe is Robert Hager, and Brenda's attorney join forces to refuse that basic right. Coppell police have told the family that the test could not be run because of the costs. Luckily, the media was in the courtroom to capture the behavior of the attorneys. The Cruz family are spending every dime of their savings to pay for an investigation. And they continue to pay their taxes in Capel, only to be the voice for Jonathan. The Coppell Police Department have turned away help from the Texas Rangers and one of the last district attorney's investigators. The question is, what are the Coppell Police hiding? The physical evidence with the bullet in the mattress, the through and through in Jonathan moving out of the bed and the trajectory of the bullet would lead someone who has physical evidence background in homicide to believe that Jonathan did not hold that gun and shoot himself. How do I know? I have a group of investigators that spent hours reenacting every possible scenario told by Brenda using the Pharaoh machine to get an accurate account of what happened based on physical evidence. It's all science. Science doesn't lie, people do. The Cruz family had been told by officers that, quote, Everybody who looks at the case has reached the same conclusion, end of quote. But they just need a, quote, smoking gun in order to prosecute. The police told John and Pam more than once that in Dallas County, it is very difficult to get a case prosecuted. That if it had been in another county, there would have already been an arrest. This is where I agree with the Coppell Police Department. It would be very difficult to get this case prosecuted based on their investigation, reports, lack of returning phone calls, lack of interviewing witnesses, lack of gun testing, fighting the family in court to do the investigation. That makes it very hard to bring it to Dallas County District Attorney. Had they done their job? Again, I go to the question, is it incompetence or corruption? I want to leave you with one thought. Pam Cruz, who is an inspiration to me, goes to the police station, sits in the parking lot, and prays for the police to reveal the truth. The same police department that fights her family in court to not test the gun. What else are they doing to the Cruz family? If you're a praying person, join Pam in praying for the Coppell Police Department to do the right thing to reveal the truth, to actually do an investigation, to turn it over to the Texas Rangers, or someone who obviously doesn't have a biased political motive, corruption, or someone who is willing to actually look at the physical evidence. If you wanna help the Cruz family, reach out to the mayor politely, tell him what you think he should do. Mayor Wes Mays is the new mayor. His phone number is 469-816-8567. Wes Mays was originally on the council. Matter of fact, he was on the council when Jonathan was shot. He was elected mayor 2021. He knows this case, and if he doesn't, shame on him. Voices need to be heard in Capel, Texas. Capel Police Department could do better. I am a supporter of good police work. I am not a supporter of sloppy police work. Jonathan Cruz's case should have never happened this way. Never. And one has to ask, why did it?
0: In every case, there is someone in the community who holds information that may be significant in solving a case. Relationships change over time, and many cold cases are solved when a former witness, friend, or relative is located who is tired of hiding information and shares that information with investigators. If you have any information about this case, please contact our voicemail comment line at 888-599-0008. You can leave an anonymous tip or you can leave your contact information. We will call you back and speak with you directly. You can also email information to Sheila at SheilaWaisaki.com. Without warning, Executive Director, Executive Producer, and Host Sheila Waisaki. Announcer Tim Evans.